chapter 1. Um, in the pew back in front of you, right there next to the hymnals in the Bible, is a sheet there that you can take notes as you go through the sermon if you want. Um, they're perfectly hole-punched for you. That if you want to get, did anybody get a little mini binder? That's all I want to know. Did anybody get a little mini? All right, I can count. On, I can count on a couple of people. Awesome, very good. All right, and uh, you can keep these. The goal of this is not just so that I know you're paying attention, although that's a nice little side effect. Um, the other goal is on the back. You have some verses there to memorize. If you want a gospel presentation, if you want to be able to share with your friends and family. A lot of times you need a verse that you can go to, and there are verses here on the back, the ones highlighted in gray, I would encourage you to to put to memory. Um, We're going to be looking at verses 19 and following. We're also going to really look at verse um, 18. I want you to see the good news that's found in, this makes no sense, I know, the good news that's found in the wrath of God. (laughs) Okay, so last week we talked about the fact that gospel is power the gospel is actually the power of god to save it's god's power in verbal form so when we share the gospel we're actually speaking god's power to save people there's no other way other than the gospel proclaimed that god is designed for people to be saved even over in North Africa and the Middle East where people are having dreams, the dreams are always to get them to someone to share the gospel with them. God's design is that people get saved by hearing and believing the gospel. So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that's good news for us because the good news is wrapped up in the fact that God is empowering these words. It's not how great we are at sharing the gospel, even though we should be encouraged to continue to try to get better at it. It, That's not really the issue. The issue is God's power in the words. And so we want to make sure we are proclaiming. The only reason we wouldn't proclaim is that we don't believe that there's power in it. So do you believe that there's power in the gospel? That the gospel is the power of God? So we need to be people who are proclaiming. Well, In the letter of Paul to the Romans, he then begins to unpack what the good news is, what this good news of the gospel is. And it doesn't start with good news, seemingly. It starts with something difficult. Right after he says that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and he says the righteous shall live by faith. In verse 18, he comes right back with what seems like bad news. And today as we as we look at Scripture and we spend a few moments, I want you to see the good news in the wrath of God. That sounds weird, I know. But I want you to see the good news in the wrath of God. We don't talk about the wrath of God very often in churches. We sometimes sing about it, but the wrath of God is not a primary you know, pick-me-up for people on Sunday mornings. It's not one of those things where you're going to feel like somebody just patted you on the back and said, now go do a good job living your Christian life. So we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about wrath, but the wrath of God is right front and center for Paul as he's talking about the gospel. Because he wants us to understand that now those of us who are Christians, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, no matter what our background was, we actually all came from the same background. No matter what your heritage is, no matter what your economic situation has been, you've all come from the same background, and that's a background of sin. And so when we look at the nature of people, the nature of man, versus the nature of God, 
we see love, and we've already sung about love today. We see how God has loved us so much. God has set His favor on humanity. And God has demonstrated His power in humanity. But we also have to be aware of the wrath of God against sin. Because really what we're talking about in the Gospel is not just the nature of people. We have to understand the nature of God, His perfection, His holiness, His righteousness. We have to understand who He is in order to understand why it would be good news for us to be with Him forever. Why is that good news? Why is it good news that if we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we get to be with God forever? Well, it would only be good news if He was worth being with forever. So the character of God is really at stake here and on display. So this is what the word of the Lord says, beginning with verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made... hmm, So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. The wrath of God. I think what you'll see today is the wrath of God is something we should fear for the future. If you're outside of Christ, you're going to come in contact with the wrath of God. I think one of the things we miss as Christians sometimes is the wrath of God against unrighteousness and sin is unleashed right now. The primary way he does that, we'll see in a few moments, is that he gives people over to their sin. He lifts his restraining grace off of them. And he gives them over to what they say they want. One of the things that's going to happen in hell is that people in hell are going to get what they want. They lived a life that was devoid of desiring God and they're going to get a place where they're not going to have God. This really brings up a lot of questions, though, about the nature of man versus the nature of God. If we say God is holy, God is righteous, God is perfect, God is just, God is love, and all of these things are true, what do we say about the nature of humanity? What do we say about the nature of people? Because in our culture, what we tend to think is people are inherently good You'll hear it, you know, I restored my faith in humanity. I got no faith in humanity, I'm just going to tell you. I know me well enough to not have faith in the rest of humanity, right? 
But you'll see it. You'll see it on a Facebook post or you'll see it in a letter. It restored my faith in humanity. And don't get me wrong, people can do some pretty great things. Lost people can do some really great things. That doesn't really necessarily mean that that's their nature. I just ask you, have you been known to do rotten things? Incredibly sinful things? Is that your nature? Now that you're in Christ Jesus? Right? So in the same way, someone who has a sinful nature can still do good things. They just don't amount to anything when it comes to righteousness. And I want to make sure we understand that when we're sharing the gospel with people, people are going to come back with questions like, well, what about the person who never heard? You ever heard that one? What do we do with them? You mean the innocent person who never heard? Because he doesn't exist. I want to make sure we understand that the nature of man versus the nature of God is really what's at play in the gospel. The fact that man by nature is unrighteous is the reason why only Jesus could be the sacrifice. Because by his nature, he was perfect. He was not tainted with sin, but was perfect. So I want you to just kind of walk through this with me real quick. And we're going to see, first of all, the nature of God as revealed in nature. The nature of God revealed. God has not kept himself private, but he's made himself known. It says it right there in the passage. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. God has made Himself known. He has revealed Himself. He has not kept Himself private. Not only has He made Himself known, but if He didn't make Himself known, if He didn't show Himself, we could never know Him. That, that's the beauty of this book. That's the beauty of the Bible. Is we don't have to guess what God is like. Because He's revealed Himself. Otherwise, we'd be walking through life trying to figure out what He's like. Think about it. Think about what the rest of the world is like. Think about what lost people are like. When you have millions of people worshiping false gods, trying to figure out what God must be like. The Hindus worship thousands of gods. The Buddhists took a big fat man and made him basically into something like a god that they kind of worship, but they don't really believe in God. They're still trying to figure it out every day. And we have a full, finished revelation of who God is. Everything He wants us to know about Him for this life. Everything we need to know about Him for this life, He's shown us. But the fact is, we would never know Him if He didn't show us. We wouldn't figure Him out. We're finite, puny little people. We could have never figured out God. I mean... I've read this book multiple times. Still haven't figured out God. Without the book, I'd have no clue. I would look at a rainbow and think, pretty. Now I see covenant of God. Right? And I know Him. But I do see in a hurricane His power. I don't understand why hurricanes exist. 
the destruction and all of that that happens. I don't get to the bottom of all of that, but I see His power. I see in the rain His love and His mercy. I see in the sunshine the fact that He is glorious and He grows us. We have the ability to see the nature of God because He's revealed Himself to us. God hasn't kept Himself private. He's not sitting off in a corner going, they'll never see me. He has by His grace shown Himself. In the creation of the world, God was not up there lonely in the Trinity wondering what to do with Himself and then all of a sudden just decided to speak the world into order. No, He spoke the world into order to reveal His very nature. That's what Paul's telling us. Is that everything since the beginning of creation has been to reveal the nature of God. To reveal who He is. Paul then goes on to, to tell us about that nature. He deserves, God deserves to be worshipped and believed. God doesn't want to be unknown. He wants to be known. Look at verse 7. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. He deserves for people to honor Him as God. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. We would see His holiness and His righteousness. What can be known about God is plain because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. God wants to be known and deserves to be worshipped and believed. That's why we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Not to make ourselves feel better. Not just because we've been commanded, but because God deserves to be worshipped by everybody. He deserves it. He doesn't deserve for people to worship false gods. God deserves better than that. God deserves better than the idolatry in our hearts. God deserves better than people seeing the Son and worshiping the Son instead of worshiping the Son of God. God deserves better than that. His nature has been revealed. His invisible attributes have been made totally obvious and clear. His invisible character should be obvious to people. It says right there that His power, His eternal power and His divine nature. Really, the, the divine nature there is almost talking about the, the Godhead. The fact that He is three in one becomes kind of obvious when you look around that He is moving in various ways and He is moving inside of us. He's moving outside of us. He's changing hearts. He's changing minds. He's changing nature. He's changing things. We see in humanity, God breathed life into us. And then He took on flesh. We see in the beauty of the, the skies, the way that He moves. We see in the wind a perfect picture of the Holy Spirit who blows wherever He wishes. We see His power. We see His nature. We see how He works. We see how He moves. Now, yeah, those of us who have a Bible, who have read it, and who believe that God is God, we get an even deeper knowledge 
of who he is. But all you got to do is look outside and see he exists. <laughs> all you have to do is look outside to see his nature. We see his power. We see his divinity. And here's where it all runs amok. All of creation, from the first day of creation, reveals God's character. Except His prized creation. It was His prized creation that rejected Him. Look at the passage of Scripture. Because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for all that they knew God. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. God's prized creation rejected God. You see this in Jesus, right? When He's on the boat with His disciples in the middle of the storm. And He looks out over the waters and He says, Peace, be still. And the waters are immediately still. They recognize the voice of the One who made them. (laughs) Think about that. That's what's happening. Jesus spoke them into being and now He's speaking over them and they go, We recognize that voice. And they, they calm down. He said the same thing to his disciples. And they went, what? Do we not live our lives that way? All of creation is held in control by the power of God. And we, his prized creation, have rejected him. Which brings us to the nature of man. The nature of God has been revealed in nature. The nature of man has been revealed in our response to God. The nature of man is revealed in the way we respond to what we see and what God has made and how God has made us. The passage makes it clear, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. Which in verse 7 means, mankind is without excuse, but not without guilt. So this brings up that question. What do you do about the person who's never heard the gospel? How can they be held responsible if they've never heard about Jesus? And what Paul is saying here is they're guilty. Plain and simple. They're without excuse. If they were without excuse... We would need to take the gospel to them. If they have an excuse, why would we ruin that? By taking the gospel to them. you got a bunch of people on an island that have never heard about Jesus. All we're doing by going to them is condemning them to hell. Think about it. If, well, if they don't hear about Jesus, they'd just go to heaven. Well, then we better just sit on our hands and not do anything, everyone. Because we're just condemning a bunch of people. Do you understand how illogical that type of thinking is? No, we go because they are guilty and they may not know it. 
But I'm just going to tell you, everywhere I've been in the world, they know it. There's not a single religion in the world that's not trying to deal with a sin issue. Every single religion in the world is similar in this. We know we've done something wrong and we need to deal with it. Every religion. And it's just the way sin is dealt with that becomes the issue. So you can go to an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean where they've never heard the gospel and they'll know that there's something wrong. Because every time that monsoon comes in, they know something's wrong with creation. They know someone's angry. <laughs> they believe something's wrong. You've seen the movies where the volcanoes are erupting, right? And they're on an island. And what, what's the thought? Well, the god of the volcano must be angry with us because we've done something wrong. That's silly and a little trite, but the fact is, that's the way the world thinks everywhere else in the world. The nature of mankind is that we are without excuse, but we are not without guilt. Man is full of unrighteousness. And we're full of unrighteousness, this says, by the nature of our response to God. So God has made us in His image, and our response is to reject Him. That's our nature. That's mankind's default nature. But we're not just full of unrighteousness by nature, although that's at the heart of the issue. We're also full of unrighteousness by action. So look at the passage. Look at what it says. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. This is all of mankind. So not only did they not worship God, that's action. That's sinfulness and unrighteousness by action. But their hearts and their minds were darkened. That's nature. Are you with me? This isn't just an action issue. So when you're sharing the gospel with someone and you just deal with the action of their sin, have you ever sinned? Have you ever lied? Yes, I have. Well, that's a sin. And they go, yeah, but I don't lie as much as other people. Right? All of a sudden, sin action becomes something you can compare to someone else, right? So at least I'm not Hitler, at least I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer, at least I'm not Stalin, at least I'm not, right, my neighbor, <laughs> whatever it may be, at least I'm not. When it's only sin action, the desperate need may not be there. But when we talk about sin nature, the fact that we can never do anything to please God outside of faith, the fact that our hearts and our minds Whatever we're trying to figure out outside of God revealing it is going to be futile and fruitless. The fact that you can try really hard and never please God because it's not in your nature to be able to do it. That all of your righteousness is a filthy rags. All of a sudden this becomes weighty. It becomes something that's about who I am, not just what I do. I'm going to say this. I think most of the problems in the church, uh, in, in churches in Christian churches that revolve around trying to get people active is either people are active out of guilt a lot of times because they feel like they've got to make up for something or people are inactive because they figure, i got grace. <laughs> and a lot of that comes down to the way the gospel was shared with us. Because all we need to be forgiven for in the gospel that a lot of us heard was what we've done or haven't done is our active sin. 
And so once that's forgiven, but the fact is, we need forgiveness for our nature. The fact that we've rejected God. The fact that our hearts and minds have been darkened. Man is full of unrighteousness and ungodliness. We are not intrinsically good. We weren't born with blank slates, but as we read in the Old Testament, in iniquity, this is the reality of who we are. At the heart of the problem that Paul points out is this. This seems to be the central sin to him. That they suppressed the truth. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, because, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is at the heart of the issue, is they suppress the truth. Verse 18 says it outright. By their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. They know God, but they don't honor God. They know God, but they don't thank God. This is at the heart of the human human problem, is that we know God, but we suppress the truth of God in our lives to the point that we don't need God, we don't honor God, we don't thank God, we don't acknowledge God, we don't follow God. Eventually we reject that there is a God. The nature of man is revealed in response to God and it's usually in suppressing the truth. Another way he puts it is this. This is how we're full of unrighteousness outside of Christ. How we have a nature of sin. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This really is is it's a sinful exchange that happens. And you see the word exchanged several times in this passage. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. By exchanging the Creator God's glory for images of lesser created things, they suppress the truth about God. We make God into something we can manage and handle, something that we can carve, something that we can mold, something we can put on a shelf, something we can only pull out when we need. We take the Creator God and His very glory and we exchange it for lesser images. We exchange God's truth for a lie. You continue on in the passage. And what God continues to do is in verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. We take the truth about God and how He's different than we are, how He's separate from us, how He's holy, how He's perfect, how He's powerful, how He is the one who is worthy of worship, and we set ourselves up as the objects of worship. That's right at the heart of our cultural problems, isn't it? In America, we don't have a whole lot of people like worshiping monkeys, per se, like carved monkeys all the time. right? But we worship ourselves. I am my God. That seems to be the motto of most of our culture. We exchange the truth 
about God for a lie. This is an idolatry of self and an idolatry of the mind. The third way we claim to be wise but become fools is we exchange God's design for our desires. Look back at the passage. So you see how this works. First we exchange God's glory for something lesser and that turns into exchanging God's truth for a lie which makes me God, which means I and my desires become more important than God's design. That's the downward trend of culture. And we're living in it, folks. It's all because of sin nature. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for that, those that are contrary to nature. And likewise, men gave up and exchanged natural relations with women. And this is the reality. When we exchange God's glory for lesser things, God's truth for a lie, and God's design for our desires, we demonstrate our nature. Look, we're not just guilty because of what we've done. We're guilty because of who we are outside of Jesus. Who we've been. This is an identity issue. Which means that when Christ comes in and saves us, He doesn't just save us from the sins we committed. He saves us out of being slaves to sin and now becoming sons and daughters of God. That's where identity comes in. He doesn't just save us and forgive us from the things we've done. He saves us from who we were and makes us new creatures. So until we begin to understand just how dark our nature was, we don't really see how great the good news is of God and His love. So I can look back in my life and I can say I was a pretty much a punk kid. I didn't kill anybody. Right? I wasn't like chopping people up and eating them or anything like that. It was nothing like so vile that no one would be able to ever forgive me. At least that's the way I could look at it. But if I see my heart as dark and hardened towards God, as foolish, as rejecting God in His identity, in His glory, in His design... And that's who I was, and He's brought me out of that, and He's put me in a place where I can be obedient and loving and worship and spend eternity with Him. It's an identity shift that I could never do. Only God could do that. So the nature of God is revealed in nature. The nature of man is revealed in response to God. But here's the good news. The good news for those who would believe There's a response of God to sin and to our sin nature. Look back at the beginning of the passage. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God reveals His wrath against sin and sin nature. There's a wrath in the future in judgment. And we know about that one. We talk about that one. That one day, there's going to be a day where there's going to be a judgment seat and those who have believed on Christ and His death and resurrection has covered their sin, has purchased them, has brought them out of darkness into light, out of death into life, that we have good news and we have life eternal. But those who have not been changed by the grace and mercy of Jesus, saved by His grace and mercy, those who have not 
been transformed, been renewed, been made new creatures by grace through faith, will have eternal judgment. But this passage says it this way. The wrath of God is revealed. He goes on to say he gave them over to their sinful passions, their dishonorable passions. He gave them over to their debased minds. He took their will and gave them over to their will. He took their mind and he gave them over to their mind. God's wrath is revealed in the present by no longer restraining people from their sin. This is a hard notion. But God will not stand for sin. He will not stand for sin. He can't. He's holy. He's perfect. And so what this brings us to is this question. What about sin in your life? Do you feel restrained from doing it? Or do you feel free to do it? See, God chastises. God disciplines those whom He loves. Those who are His, He's not going to allow you to keep sinning forever. And so if you have sin in your life right now that you know of, and you feel complete freedom to do it and no conviction of it whatsoever, I'd be very afraid. Because our prayer needs to be quite simple. Please do not give me over to my sin. (laughs) I don't want to be a person with a hard heart. Given over to my sin. No longer restrained. So our prayer today needs to be, God, soften my heart that I would hear your good news, hear the gospel, hear of your love, see you for who you are. Trust you for who you are. Thank you for who you are. Follow you for who you are. God, restrain me from sin. Don't let me live with a hard heart. Hardness of heart is not only the cause of God's righteous judgment in the end, but it's actually sometimes a manifestation of God's judgment and wrath. He did that with Pharaoh, right? He gave Pharaoh over to his hard heart. Continues to do that today. Here's the good news. No matter how hard the heart, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. If God can give people over to their hard hearts, He can also take it back. And He calls us to go to the hardest hearted people with the only thing that can change their hearts. He gives people over to the desires of their hearts. He gives people over to their sinful pursuits. But as long as they have breath, we have a good news to take to them. And here's the good news for us and for them. God reveals His wrath against sin in the future in judgment in the present by no longer restraining people. But He also revealed His wrath against sin in the past. 
at the cross. When all of the wrath of God against sin was placed on Jesus. When Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath at the cross, we have the picture of God's wrath in the past. Yes, wrath is for the future. Yes, wrath is revealed today. But our hope is in the fact that on Jesus, all the wrath of God for our sins was laid. That He was the propitiation. We'll deal with that in a few weeks. That He was the propitiation. He, he absorbed the wrath of God for us. Is that not good news? Is that not good news that you could take to someone who is 101 years old? who one day soon, sooner rather than later, is going to be standing before God? Is that not good news to someone who's 21 years old, who seems to be given over to their own sin? Is that not good news for a 55-year-old? For a 65-year-old who's just retired and would rather have the things of this world that they've amassed than the things of God? Is it not good news that God took His wrath against all of that unrighteousness, all of the deeds we've done, all the sinful acts, but also our sin nature? He took all His wrath towards that and placed it on Jesus. If you haven't trusted Jesus for that, you have not been saved. You may have walked an aisle, you may have been dunked in some water, but if you've never trusted Jesus to take your sin and your nature on Himself, you haven't known salvation. If you simply do a bunch of religious things because you fear wrath in the future, or you try to do the right thing right now because you fear the wrath of God in the present, but you've never trusted Jesus for His wrath against sin poured out on Jesus in the past, you've never been saved. Today is the day where you can trust Jesus for what He's done so that when you see Him in the future, you won't have to be ashamed of Him and His coming. That's the good news of the Gospel. That's the good news of the wrath of God. You didn't think it was possible, did you? That the wrath of God is good news. That He hates sin so much that the only way he could deal with it is Jesus. And he's done it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we would call out the name of Jesus. We would trust in Jesus. We would follow Jesus. We would love Jesus. We would treasure Jesus. We would believe Jesus as the wrath taker for our sins. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. We're going to sing together.